follow along with me. We'll begin reading in verse 1. The Bible says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, distributed according to his will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We pray that you will bless it. Um, We pray for clarity as we look into it today to understand what your will is and to find uh, direction in order to uh, find out who you are and what you desire of us. We pray that you would give us clarity in our minds, in our hearts, give us uh, humility and uh, help us to receive what you have for us and to apply it to our daily lives. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here, Lord, and uh, we do this because we love you and uh, We give you the praise for it in Christ's name, amen. On Easter Sunday, we meditated on these same four verses and looked at them from the perspective of coming judgment and the need to be rescued from uh, eternal condemnation by entering into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ that comes by grace through faith. This morning, we're going to look at these same four verses with a different perspective. Uh, We're going to look at them from the perspective of grace, uh, not as necessarily needed for salvation, but also grace that is needed for daily living. Uh, Grace that is needed to give us strength to persevere through the difficulties that we face each and every day of our lives. As Christians, life is full of these difficulties. We are told that all of those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And the grace that we lean on to bring about salvation is the same grace that we lean on to get us through each and every day of our lives. It is the grace that we lean on to deliver us from eternal condemnation, the grace that we lean on to deliver us from sin, Um, the grace that we lean on for these things is the same grace that we lean on for the daily needs that we have. And we're going to look at that grace this morning, and we're going to, again, unfold it just from the perspective of how it applies in daily living. How does it apply to Christians in daily life? It's interesting, when you look at a text like this, you find that there are many different interpretations. As a matter of fact, there are men who we would all have great respect for who stand uh, and interpret this text from two different, in two different ways. It's interesting, as I was looking this week and studying um, how strongly these men stand on their positions. Uh, John MacArthur says that this text is undoubtedly written to unbelievers, that there is no question as to whether or not this text is for unbelievers. Uh, At the same time, Albert Moeller, Warren Wiersbe, and R.C. Sproul all say that this text is undoubtedly written to Christians. And there is no question as to whether or not it is written to believers. So as we come to the word of God in in these situations, we must come with a sense of humility 
to see what does the Lord have for us and how can, this, how can these passages of scripture apply to us and what can we learn from them about the Lord's character and about the Lord's nature. Um, I think that in, in this context, in this portion of scripture, we see a grace that is both salvific, uh, in other words, a grace that saves, a, a grace that takes a, an unbeliever and makes him a, a believer, a grace that takes somebody who is guilty before God and a sinner and it makes them somebody who's innocent and uh, sets them free and gives them that salvation. That same grace that's spoken of is also the grace that leads us through our daily lives. It, it strengthens us and enables us to be victorious as we function each day. The salvation that we experience the moment that we are saved is not something that doesn't impact how we live our lives each day. So we want to unfold this this morning from the perspective of the grace that saves is also the grace that sustains, the grace that empowers, the grace that stabilizes those who believe. It is the source of strength by which believers are not only rescued eternally, but also the same believers are rescued daily. A matter of fact, the evidence that we have been rescued eternally is found directly in the, in the deliverance that we experience each and every day of our lives. The victory that we have at salvation is evidenced, is proved by the victory that we experience as we walk with Christ today. It is clear in scriptures that, tho that those who do not experience the daily victories of grace must at the very least question whether or not they have experienced the eternal nature of grace. Because the grace that saves us is the same grace that changes us. The grace that saves us is the same grace that delivers us each and every day of our lives. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And that is salvific. The reason why we are um, forgiven, the reason why we are justified, the reason why we are saints is because of the grace of God. The grace of God, the unmerited favor of God hath made these things a reality for us. But here's what the apostle Paul says, but his grace towards me was not in vain or empty. On the contrary, I, I worked harder than any of them Though it was not I, but it was the grace of God that was working in me. So in one verse, the Apostle Paul describes the grace of God that makes me who I am, positionally, is the same grace of God that makes me who I am practically. It is the grace of God that saves me, is the, the same grace of God that delivers me each day from my difficulties. This is also why the Apostle Paul begins and ends most all of his letters with a prayer or a plea for God's grace to be with his people. If you can look at the Apostle Paul's letters, what you will find is a sandwich. On one end of the sandwich, the bread is God's grace, please be with these people. On the other end of that sandwich, the other side of that bread is God's grace, please be with these people. And then sandwiched in the middle is a lot of instruction. 
Sometimes it's a rebuke. Sometimes it's an admonition, whatever it might be. But he sandwiches that instruction um, with, or he bookends that instruction with God's grace. And the reason for that is the, the Apostle Paul knows that it is impossible for individuals to carry out the instruction that he is giving in the middle without having the grace of God on the ends. And it is so true for us as we think about our daily lives, the things that God requires of us, the things that God demands of us, it's impossible for us to carry those things out without the grace of God, without his unmerited favor and his unmerited strength to guide us through this, to get us through this life. God's grace is, the super, is a supernatural gift that saves us and empowers us. Second Peter 1, verse 2 and 3, the Bible say, says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has been granted to us, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So his divine power, God's divine nature, God's divine character has been given to us as a gift of his grace and that with his divine nature, we have all things that pertain to living life in a godly way would be another way of stating that. We have been given everything that we need to live life godly to be Christ-like in how we live our lives and it is something that has been in imputed to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Remember this, it is not our righteousness, it is, it, is, it is an outside righteousness that lives inside of us. It is it is something that is not of us, it is of Christ, but by his presence being within us, we become enabled to carry out things that before salvation were impossible to us. The things that you can do now um, as a, a person indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God are, 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 um, are far greater than what we could do before when we were not indwelt by the Spirit of God. And this is uh, why the Lord tells his disciples to tarry until he, they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, then they can go out and do the work of the Lord. So it's so important that we have that grace within us to be able to accomplish what the Lord has for us. So I want to look at this grace this morning. We all have difficulties. We all have challenges. Being a Christian does not just solve our eternal problems. Um, it actually impacts our daily life. There is, there is a victory to be had in our daily life um, that being a Christian solves. And, and I'm thankful for that. I'm grateful that I can look to Christ to deal with what I'm going through right now today. It's like, I, I don't want to go through life with this attitude of, you know what, eternity is set, so whatever I go through the day, today doesn't really matter, or how I go through what I'm going through today doesn't really matter because I've got, you know, I, I got my ticket stamped, my out of, get out of hell free card is, is taken care of, and, and I don't need to worry about everything else that's going on. We serve a God that cares about what's going on in, in our lives right now a God that cares about what you're dealing with, what you're struggling with in this very moment of your life. And, and, and the grace that he gives is meant to save us forever, but it's also meant to sustain us now. Because we're not living in the kingdom yet. Um, the kingdom is, 
is changing us, but the eternal kingdom where there is righteousness ruling and reigning is yet to come. The Bible tells us in Matthew 6 and verse 34, he says, be anxious, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient unto this day is its own troubles. And we would all say to that, amen. We have enough troubles today to not be worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. And we need the grace of God today. We need to wake up, this, we need to wake up in the morning um, on Sunday morning or Monday morning tomorrow and say, I, I need God's grace to get me through today. And then when we, when, we kneel up, when we kneel down at the end of the day, we need to kneel down and say, God, thank you for your grace to get me through the day. That was what, that's why Paul bookmarked his, his letters. We can bookmark our days. Lord, give me strength. Lord, give me grace. Lord, give me what I need to get through this day. And then bookmark at the end, Lord, thank you for your strength and grace to get through the day. Because ultimately, it was all God's grace and goodness that got us through that day. So I want to... Un- unfold this for you from our text here this morning in regards to this idea of grace and how it impacts, how it, how it uh, uh, functions in regards to our daily, our daily lives. So, point one, the blessings of grace. I just want to define it for you. I want to uh, give you an understanding of what these blessings of grace look like, what they are, before we move on to how they, how they unfold. You'll, you'll remember... Um, Michael read in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, um, the Apostle Paul says, as he's going through, he has these infirmities, these, uh, this, this um, thorn in the flesh that was sent to him by God to buffet him, to keep him humble. He prays to God three times that it would be, it would be uh, removed. And the Lord says to him, my grace is sufficient for you, right? Amen? God's grace is sufficient for him. He doesn't remove his infirmity, does he? But what he tells them is, is my grace is sufficient for you in your infirmity. In this trial, in this difficulty, my grace is sufficient for you. And then the apostle Paul says, therefore, I will boast in my, in my infirmities, in my weaknesses. So he takes, he takes, the, he takes the grace of God not to, not to bring him out of his infirmities, but it, it takes the grace of God to cause him to boast in his infirmities. The grace of God was Paul's response to his infirmities, not his escape from them. And that's what the grace of God does in our life. It doesn't always set us free from our infirmities, but what it does do is it changes us in our infirmities. It makes us the right type of person in that moment of difficulty, in that hardship, in that difficult relationship, in that difficult uh, walk or place of your life. It, it changes how you respond in that moment, the grace of God does. It doesn't always set us free. We see this in the life of Job. We see this in the life of Joseph. We see this in the life of Daniel and David and the three Hebrew children. We see it in the life of Jesus and Paul and all of the other apostles. Biblically speaking, most Christians weren't delivered from facing difficulty. Very few of them were set free from facing the difficulty, but all of them experienced the difficulty victoriously. In other words, the grace of God was to help them go through the difficulty and to become the person that he wanted them to be. 
because the grace of God is what saves us and the the grace of God is what sanctifies us. He tells us this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, when he's dealing with the idea of how people face death. He says, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep that you may not grieve as others. Or you may not grieve over death in the same way that other people grieve over death that you, that they have no hope. So again, the grace of God is not, re- is not removing death, but the grace of God is in sustaining us to face death or to face the death of a loved one in a victorious way. Amen? Death is somewhat of a victory for a believer. And as we understand what Christ is and who he is and what's beyond death, it makes sense to be able to go through that moment to, 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 to make that transition if the Lord calls us to that, if, it's, if that's our time, to be able to do it with a, a level of peace in our heart that um, it's gonna be okay. In the same way when we, when we face the death of other people, and this is, kind of, this is kind of the extreme illustration, right? This is kind of the, most of us don't have to face this all the time. But even when we face the death of other people, it's the grace of God that sustains us to know that there's something beyond this. It's always a blessing to me when I talk to somebody who is, who is dealing with the loss of a loved one and I know that they're a believer. One of the first things I say to them is, is the, it's, it's good to know that they're in a better place. That's encouraging, isn't it? And we can say that to, we can say that to a believer and we can be comforted and confident and know that that is a true reality. That's the confidence, that's the confidence that grace, that God's grace gives us that the world does not have. And it's so important that we manifest this grace in order, number one, to show what it means to be in that grace, but it's also a witness to those who are around us. So there are two terms, first of all, just defining grace. What are these blessings of grace? There are two words in our text that kind of describe this idea of these blessings that come along with being um, a part, uh, uh, a recipient of grace. He says it in verse number three. He says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So the two terms here, number one is escape, and the other one is great salvation. And this is the, these are two terms that describe what happens as a recipient of grace. And, and we know that there's an eternal escape from um, certain things, eternal salvation. But, but again, I want to look at it uh, from this practical today, day-to-day living perspective. The word escape means to flee. It means to, to seek safety, to, to find a place of refuge, to escape from something. And the, the, the idea of escape means that there has to be a level of captivity before there can be an escape. If you want to write that down, if you're taking notes, the escape implies that there is first a captivity. And I, and I would su- suggest to you that there is, there is rarely an escape where there isn't first a recognition of captivity. In, in many cases, we face we face our own sinfulness and we don't see it as a cap, being captive to it. We see it as maybe being a struggle or a difficulty and we don't face the, we don't experience the escape that grace gives because we don't 
embrace the extent of our sinfulness. The Apostle Paul tells us, I believe it's in Romans, um, I know it's in Romans, but I think it's in 6 and possibly 5. But he says, um, he says that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. In other words, he's not saying go out and sin all you want because then grace is going to be massive. What he's saying is, is when you maximize the nature of your sin, when you see your sin for what it really is, when you call your sin what God calls your sin, it will be met with grace. The, the uh, 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The phrase there literally is if you will say about your sin what God says about your sins, if you will call your sin what God calls your sin. In the Old Testament, the Bible says that rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft, right? But we call rebellion a stage of life that you go through. So we've missed the point. We, we, we miss grace in that situation, in that scenario. We are allowed to go through life fighting and dealing with that struggle on our own because we have forsaken grace because we have refused to call, what, call our sin what it really is. The Bible says that God gives resistance to the proud, but what does he give to the humble? He gives grace to the humble. To see our sins, to, 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 to acknowledge our sins for what they are, to see the captivity that we have. Before we're saved, there's a captivity to sin that is eternal. And after we're saved, there's, the, there's a, a wrestling with sin that we need to be set free from each and every day of our lives. There's a battle with sin that we need the grace of God to overcome. And when we minimize that battle and we minimize the power of our flesh and we minimize our, our desire for those sinful things, we, we neglect grace and the Lord says, you go ahead and take care of it on your own. And, and I don't know about you, but I know about me is that when I'm left in that realm, I fail all the time, right? Anybody, anybody else, any amens from that? Yeah, I fail all the time, but when I'm able to walk in grace, that is the power of God, acknowledging my own frailties, but at the same time acknowledging the power of God in that situation, that's when I'm able to escape. That's when I'm able to experience that, that escape from that captivity that has held me in bondage to myself or held me in bondage to my sin. Romans 8 and verse 1 and 2 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, for the, law of, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We have been set free from this law. We're no longer bound to it. But at the same time, it is easy uh, to remain in this. It's almost like when we watch that movie, um, the, uh, the Pilgrim's Progress movie, the guy who, the, the, uh, the lock was off the door, but he just stayed in the prison. It's to, to not just to, to identify uh, eternally with the freedom that we have, but to be set free, to truly leave the cage and to, and to spread our wings and fly for the Lord, to serve him. Romans 6 verse 22 says, but now that you have been set free from sin, you have become a slave of God, and the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. 
So what do we escape? Just real quick, if you're taking notes, number one is we escape sin. By the grace of God, we're able to escape sin. In the same way that Joseph does it in Genesis, where he flees from Potiphar's wife, uh, he, by the strength of the Lord, by his understanding of the Lord, he escapes that situation and he escapes sin. It is the grace of God that enables us to flee away from sin. If we, want, if we flee from sin or attempt to flee from sin in the flesh, we will find ourselves perhaps fleeing from one sin to another sin. For instance, those who overcome sin in their flesh will often face the sin of pride. They will move from one sin to the next sin. It is not overcoming sin in the flesh that brings escape. It is overcoming sins by the grace of God that brings this escape. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. How do we flee these things? We don't flee these things in the flesh. We flee these things by the grace of God. And it is the grace of God that brings this escape. It brings this deliverance. And remember this. One of the greatest challenges that we face in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of trial, one of the greatest challenges that we face is that we don't move into sin. Some of us move into emotional sin. Some move into prideful sin. But some move into physical sin in the midst of difficulty. Some of us, some of us have a, a, a place where we go to when we need to be comforted, right? So if we're in a difficult situation, we yell at, our, our, at, our, at somebody. We get really angry with them, and that's our comfort. That, that's, what, that's how we regain control of a situation. Some people go to lustful things. Some people go to, to the bottle, to, to alcoholic things, to intoxicating things. And not just the bottle, but intoxicating things. They go to these things in order to deal with their problems. And what the Lord is saying here is that there's grace that will enable you to deal with your problems properly. It's amazing about those who deal with their problems in the flesh is that they often find that when they're done in the flesh, guess what's still there? And, 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 and usually it's maximized to a whole new level. Captive, we, we escape the captivity that we have to sin by the grace of God. We escape the captivity that we have to temptation. Number two, God, God's grace delivers us from temptation. We want to say this. It doesn't mean that God's grace takes us out of the temptation. What it does mean is that God's grace is with us through the temptation. His grace empowers us to win over the temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you but that which is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above your ability, okay? And I don't believe that he's referring to your ability in your flesh here, but yet your ability in the Lord. There's nothing that we're not able to face if we're walking in the spirit. 
If you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of your flesh. But he says this, but he will not allow us to be tempted above that we are able, but will with the temptation also provide a way of escape that we may be able to persevere through it. We may be able to endure it. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial or temptation, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God hath promised to those who love him. It is the grace of God that sustains us in the moments of temptation, temptation to anger, temptation to flesh, temptation to lust, temptation to all of these things. It's the grace of God that sustains us, not the flesh. It is the grace of God that helps us escape wrong attitudes and motives. Again, grace doesn't always deliver us from bad situations, but it does deliver us in bad situations. It causes us to be humble, to be kind, to be sacrificial, to, be def- def- to, to defer to others. All of these things are a result of God's grace. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, the Bible says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. This is the grace of God that Jesus Christ has bestowed upon us. It is the same grace of God that if we will live in it, it will bring the deliverance that we need each and every day of our lives. Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Then it describes it for us. It is a deliverance, not from difficulty, but often in difficulty. Great salvation is the second term that's defined, that's used here to define this grace that the Lord gives. It means great and mighty deliverance, perseverance, or safety. It's a protection within those moments of of trial and tribulation. What are we delivered from? What is this salvation a deliverance from? It is a deliverance, number one, from condemnation. Condemnation eternally in that we escape the judgment of God for, uh, this is salvifically, 1 Thessalonians 1.10, we escape the wrath of God. It is also deliverance for believers who escape personal condemnation or discouragement. It's easy to get into those moments of difficulty of life, trials of life, temptations in life, and to become self-condemning. To condemn self and not walk in the grace of God in which he doesn't condemn us. If the Lord doesn't condemn us, ought we to condemn ourselves? If the Lord hath shown grace, ought we not to show grace? Ought we not to walk in the grace that the Lord has shown us? This is the deliverance that we need. This is that great salvation. It is recognizing who Christ is and what Christ has done for us. And in the moment when when we would condemn ourselves, that we find peace and we find favor in in the wonderful glories of Christ. The Bible tells us in Revelation 12 and verse 10 that Satan will condemn us every single, that Satan is continually making accusations against us to God in heaven. All the time Satan is making accusations against us. He wants us to be discouraged. He wants us to be defeated. He wants us to be condemned. But here's the, here's the wonderful thing about the Christian life is none of those are true about a Christian. 
And we have to embrace and believe that we are not condemned. Even when we fail, it's not condemning of us. We find, we find rest in what Jesus has done for us. Failing just drives us to Jesus again and again and again and again. Every day we should be running to Jesus again because we have failed that day. We have this great salvation that we're delivered from condemnation. And we tell people that you can be delivered from condemnation. And then they watch us as we walk through our days condemn ourselves. We must manifest what we have, what we believe. We must live out what we, what we know to be true biblically. We escape chastening. Hebrews 12 talks about the chastening of the Lord and how the chastening of the Lord is not pleasant. And sometimes it's the grace of God that helps us endure chastening, but there are times as well that we are walking in the grace of God that we don't need chastening. Oftentimes it's the chastening that we need to bring us back into the Grace of God. It brings us back into, into dependence on his strength. When we become self-reliant and self-dependent, what does the Lord bring into our lives to, be, to cause us to be Christ-reliant and Christ-dependent? He brings chastening. If you live your life daily in dependence on the grace of God and in thankfulness for his grace every day of your life, if you live life that way, you can be assured that you will not need chastening. You will be delivered from chastening. It's a good thing, right? I remember growing up thinking, I sure don't want to go through this day without getting a spanking, right? I want to, be, I want to have deliverance today from, from that condemnation of, of, that, of that failure of walking away. We can feel that. We can know that by walking in grace, by walking in his strength. It's a wonderful thing to know that God doesn't require us to walk in perfection. Amen? There, there is, the Lord doesn't say there is no condemnation to those who will walk in perfection. It says there is no condemnation to those who walk in the spirit. There is no condemnation to those who walk in grace. So as I live my life each day and I fail and I run to the Lord for, for, for help, and I run to the Lord for grace, and I run to the Lord for mercy, and I run to him for that, there is no need for there to be chastening. His grace has brought me from having to face that chastening as I walk in it. So what is the great salvation? I'm free from condemnation. I'm free from chastening. And number three, I'm free from consequences. And when I say consequences, I just simply mean natural consequences. Galatians 6, 9 says, uh, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. There are natural consequences that we, that we experience in our, in our daily lives. There are things that you do this and you reap this. By walking in grace, by walking in the power of God, we are set free, we are delivered, we've experienced this great salvation from consequences. Not only are we set free from natural consequences, but we're set free from coincidental consequences. 1 Corinthians 11 talks about people who take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, and it says about them, and it says to them, to be careful lest you be judged alongside of the world. 
Be careful lest you be judged alongside of the world. Samson is a wonderful illustration of this in the Old Testament. Samson was a man of God, one of God's judges. And we all know that he fell, he fell into sin. He was, he was captured by the Philistines. And he, in his last moment, he goes, and you, you've all seen the pictures. He stands between those two pillars, and he pulls them down. And all the wicked people inside of that building die, right? And who else dies? Samson does, doesn't he? The consequences. To die right alongside of the world. To, write, to die right alongside of the wicked. Because not walking in grace, not walking in, in truth, not walking in these things, but walking in sinfulness, walking in evil and wickedness is something where we face, we may not face the eternal consequences of those things, but the Lord is, the Lord is more than just being about eternal consequences. R- remember, salvation is not just about eternity. Salvation is about transforming us, changing us into the image of God, into the image of Christ for his glory. Salvation is for God's glory on the earth and God's glory eternally. Remember that. When when God created us, he created us for his glory, right? On the earth. He created the earth and he created mankind to glorify him on the earth. When man fell, it distorted that glory. When God sent his son into this world to save sinners, he restored his own glory amongst mankind. It's not just saving you from eternal problems. It's saving you today, delivering you today that you might glorify God and you might worship him properly and forever. There is an extraordinary escape that takes place when we walk in God's grace. And there's an extraordinary salvation that we experience when we walk in God's grace. Not only eternally, but also Today, today, right now, walking in God's grace in whatever God has put you through or put you in. I'm gonna leave you with that this morning. We're gonna take the Lord's Supper. I'm gonna give you some thoughts. Next week, I'm gonna very likely do a message for Mother's Day. Next week is Mother's Day. We We want you to remember that. Next week is a very, 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 very important day. We want you to remember Mother's Day and come celebrate your mothers. So very likely I'll preach a message for mothers next week. But when I, when I come back, when we come back the following week, I want you to remember these things, okay? The blessings of grace that we talked about this morning flourish in the environment of the word. They flourish in the environment of the word. We'll see that, we'll see that in our text. The blessings of grace are forfeited by drifting or neglecting the word. The blessings of grace are found, are seen in signs, wonders, miracles, and spiritual gifts. And the blessings of grace are fostered by locking yourself into the word. Let me give you this last illustration. It'll kind of bring things together without, we'll, we'll deal with it more thoroughly the next couple of weeks. Imagine all the things I mentioned to you about grace are found in a room. And as long as you're in that room, those things are a part of your life. You get to experience all of these goodnesses, all of these victories, all of these deliverances. You get to experience these things all by staying in this room. Let's just call it this room. Here's what the Lord is saying. He said there's a danger that people are gonna drift out of this room. There's a danger that people are gonna forsake this room and just say, ah, it's not that important, it's not that big of a deal. You know, the eternal things are taken care of, but, but they're, 
but there is this room of grace. And in this room of grace is just extraordinary victory. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying, or here's what Hebrews is saying. Lock yourself into that room. Lock yourself in there. Find a place where you can put handcuff on your hand and a handcuff on something else and lock yourself into that room. Never leave that room. You say, Pastor John, what is that room? That room is the word of God. He says, we must give much closer attention. The picture is, is a nautical picture. It's like bringing your ship in to shore and tying it to shore. Putting that anchor down and do not let it drift any longer. God's word is the environment in which grace flourishes. Lock yourself to it. Dig into it. Find out what God has for you and live in light of that marvelous grace. Father, thank you. I know we didn't get far today, Lord, but I pray that we got what needed to, we said what needed to be said, that you said what needed to be said, and that um, we would be excited about your grace and looking forward to living in it each and every day of our lives. Pray that you'd bless the remainder of our time together as we take the Lord's Supper, that it would be a time of, of refreshing, a time of remembrance, and a time in which, Lord God, we can see your grace manifested to us. We love you, Lord, and are thankful to be a part of your church.